The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 for the moment. Going to look at a number one, including Luke 16, but I want to start out this evening by asking you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. So, you know, you probably did not realize just how brilliant your mother or your grandmother was, and my guess is that's who did it. At least it wasn't my house. Uh, when I was growing up, my grandmother would take me aside, teach me uh, Bible verses, teach me songs. Uh, my dad and mom did too, but my grandmother did. There was um, because my granddaddy, like my daddy, was in minor league baseball. He would be traveling a lot, and uh, so uh, that meant my grandmother was with us a lot of my childhood. My dad's mom. And uh, she's just a, I always tell people, my wife and my grandmother are the two biggest arguments against total depravity that I'm aware of. I have a, I'm just uh, amazed at what God has done in their lives. And, and, uh, but my grandmother in, uh, in particular, as I was thinking about it, but one of the things, of course, she taught me to do, okay, we're going to go to bed now. Now let's pray. And she taught me that prayer that has become a section of it, has become the title for this series, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Wonderful theological precision that we betray sometimes I think out of great motives, but we betray. How many times have I been in a funeral setting and we're doing our best to give biblical encouragement, not just euphemisms and platitudes, but biblical encouragement, and then um, and they want to comfort the grieving, and we'll say something like this, Oh, my goodness, your loved one is with the Lord, and I can just see them Running around now, those legs that were old and done now, they've got new legs and they're running around. Well, the answer is no. In fact, we just left a grave where them old legs ill are. They haven't been transformed. They're in the grave is where they are. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Now, there is coming a time where they will have a new body. And it will be for a new heavens and a new earth. But it's not in what we call in the theological framework the intermediate state. But what is the intermediate state? Now, brothers and sisters, um, I believe that the mission of the church is to take the whole counsel of God buttressed with the gospel. The gospel as it's, uh, you know, contours and, and, um, and framework of teaching all that God has given to us. 
I believe that our mission is to make disciples through the ministry of evangelism to the world, the gospel ministry of evangelism to the world, the gospel ministry of love to one another, the gospel ministry of disciple making. So you reach up and you reach out in, in evangelism, you reach in and loving and enfolding, you reach down in learning and discipling, and then you, and the result is you reach up in worship. That's what disciple discipleship does. It turns out those who know how to gather for worship and those who know how to live life for worship. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable. All of life becomes worship. And uh, so that's one of the things that we do. And I want you to understand that while the small group disciple-making is the main delivery system of making disciples. You've also, and the large group is the main delivery system of bringing disciples together in worship. We need to understand something. And that what I would like to communicate to you is that worship, because of the means of grace, of prayer and the word, as we sing it, read it, hear it, and have it preached, is a part of disciple-making. Now, granted, it's not down to the life-on-life that you get in the small group or for a season or a reason, 101, uh, discipling, but it sets up the contours. It is the gospel cannonade that softens up the heart and redirects the mind. It is preaching of the word is that not exclusive, but that primary means of grace. I say all that to say that's why I love to do expository preaching on Sunday morning and then to be a part of the disciple making in your life is to do topical expository preaching on Sunday night. That is to take the issues of the Christian life, go to the word of God, not to proof text what I want to say, but to find out what I need to say. What does the Bible say about this issue? Well, I believe the Bible tells us how to live for Christ. It also tells us how to die in Christ. Those who live by faith die in faith. And what does it mean to be informed as you just sung? Don't you love that song we sung earlier, which is the Heidelberg Catechism question number one? What is our only comfort in life and death but Christ, the Lord of glory, in life and death? And he tells us what we need to know. And that's what we want to know is what does he tell us about life, the stewardship of life, lifestyle stewardship, and death. That's what we all face Unless Jesus comes back first. We all face it. Now, when that last breath is taken, what's happened? The body and the soul have separated. And the body is laid aside in the sure and expectation of the resurrection that will take place at the coming of Christ. But the soul goes on to be with the Lord. What makes you, you, is not your body. Your body 
can be set aside, but you're still living. When God made Adam from the ground, Adam was a corpse until he breathed into him the breath of life, the nephesh, and he became with that soul a living being. The Bible tells you, do not fear those that can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. So at death, what is you, what makes you, you, is now present with the Lord. And what is it you will be doing until Christ comes back in the presence of the Lord? What is it you will enjoy and employ in that period of time between your death and coming into his presence? And how are you to view that? And then what between that time and when Jesus comes and your resurrected body is transformed into a body like his resurrected body, and that will be joined with your perfect soul a perfected body, and that will be deposited in a new heavens and a new earth. Well, can you put that till next week, please? We'll get there. This week, I want to finish up how do we look at the intermediate state. Now, my problem, and I love what Michael Rogers says about this, as soon as I say intermediate state, you think of something less than blessed, (laughs) That almost rhymes. I might make a praise song out of that one. Something less than blessed. But there's not... Here, I want you to think this way. Right now, it is glorious to be a Christian. But when you die, it gets better. It will be glorious to be in His presence. But when He comes again and inaugurates the everlasting new heavens and new earth... It will be even greater. But in that intermediate state, which I like what Michael says, the immediate heaven, the immediate heaven. Can you think of prophecy for a minute? How many times does God in his word make a prophecy and there will be an immediate fulfillment that will point to the ultimate fulfillment? Well, it's the same thing when he tells you, absent from the body is present with the Lord. That is an immediate heaven we call the intermediate state because even more glory is yet to come at the coming of Christ. But what is that immediate heaven in the intermediate state? Well, if you've got your Bibles here in Hebrews 12, would you follow along with me that anticipates it? And let's look and see what is said in Hebrews chapter 12 and go with me to verse 22. Here's what he says. But you, all of you who have lived by faith, remember the Hall of Faith chapter in chapter 11? They lived by faith, they died in faith. Now, what does he say? But you... You have this glorious statement, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's stop. It's not going to stay heavenly. 
it will ultimately come down into the new heavens and the new earth. But in the intermediate state, it is the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. And who is there? Innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn. That's another term for believers. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are called the Holy Catholic Church, the Church Universal, enrolled in heaven. The elect of God is called the assembly of the firstborn in Jesus Christ. Firstborn refers to status. We have all the rights of our Savior, Jesus, who he has given to us. And so you have come to this heavenly Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And where else have you come to? You've come to God, the judge of all. And who's come there? To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Notice in this intermediate state... You're in heaven. Look at all the glory. Look at all the joy. Look at all the perfection. But it's not the ultimate new heavens and new earth. And you are not in your ultimate final state. These are the spirits being that are perfected in his, in his presence. So guess what? Your mother and grandmother were right. I pray the Lord my soul to take that non-material you that makes you you, your spirit or your soul, that comes in the image of God, that makes you you, does not die at your death. But the body is set aside and you are now ushered into his presence for this spiritual existence with him. For that you will enjoy with him forevermore. Enrolled in heaven to the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous. Now notice, made perfect. Our spirit and soul will be perfected in his presence. And to Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, you will see your glorified Savior with the marks of your redemption on his hands and his feet and his side. The mediator who redeemed you, you will see him in his glorified state. And as you see him, the mediator of the new covenant, this is the one who sprinkled blood, and it is a better blood than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel was shed because of sin. The blood of Jesus was shed to save sinners. It is glorious. It is an atoning Christ that you will be with. And how will you be with him? Spiritually. The spirit or the souls made perfect in his presence. Where's your body? in the ground. Is it going to stay there? No. That Jesus is coming, it will be raised. That body will be raised into a new body for a new heavens and a new earth. 
But that is what he wants us to see. Let me ask you to go to another text that looks at this same moment. Go with me to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Here the unfolding of the seven seals is taking place. And in the unfolding of the seven seals, it's abundantly clear that not only does every believer die and go into the presence of the Lord, and which is going to be covered in just in chapter seven, but right now some are dying for the Lord. They're martyrs. They're dying for the faith. Well, what what about these who have died for the faith? Well, look with me at verse nine of Revelation six. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. The what? The souls. Not the bodies. They're buried. They are set aside. I saw the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Can I give you something there? That white robe is is another way to, to what he says in, in uh, chapter in Second Corinthians five that we have we set aside this tent and he has prepared a dwelling for us there. So we have this intermediate state of our spiritual soul that is clothed with what God has provided for us that declares our perfections. So he gives us this symbol of our clothing spiritually before him of this white robe and told rest a little longer until the number of those fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. In other words, God has called some to martyrdom, and not all have laid down their life for Christ and the work of the gospel in this world. But those that have are now with the Lord. Their souls, their spirits are with the Lord in the perfections of the clothing he has provided of the white robe that is theirs, that is rooted in the righteousness of Christ that clothes us for all eternity. So what I want you to see was that, and then I want you to see that actually your grandmother must have studied the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now, before I go there, before I go there, may I now make one more appeal, not one more. I will make this appeal many more times, but I want to make this appeal one more time. One of the greatest instruments of discipleship of biblical truth that can be used is the Shorter Catechism. And if it was used more, we would be more accurate in our communication of truth and love with one another, even at times like this. Because this has already been addressed for us in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 37. Now, I put it up there on the slide for you, and so if you'll take a look at it, here's what it says. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at their death? Now, notice the careful work. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ. Their bodies. He's not through yet. 
The body is united to Christ, even as it's been laid aside, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Do rest in their graves until when? The resurrection. So they have immediate blessing, comfort, presence with the Lord. Spiritually in their soul, with their souls. The body still united to Christ has been set aside to be claimed and resurrected and transformed at his second coming when he brings the resurrection of the dead. So, what does that again look like? So, I'm going to ask you to go back to another text with another perspective on it that we looked at last week. Go with me now to 2 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, yes, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I'm sorry, I did not get to this last week. That's why I want to get to it this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So, if... If I pulled up beside you at a um, at a stoplight, and you're you're there, and your spouse was next to you, and two of your kids, and one of them says, "Look, there's the pastor in his car," would they be correct? I'm not I am not one of these preachers that trick you. Okay, so you may be confident. You may be confident. Would they be correct? Yes, but let's say your, your, that's what one of the children say, but one of the, your spouse says, oh, there's Pastor Reader in his automobile. Would she be correct or he be correct? Yes. Or one of them says, oh, there's the pastor's vehicle. Would they be correct? Yes. Three different terms, same item. Well, the intermediate state of the immediacy of being present with the Lord in all comfort and joy, perfected, goes with multiple names in your Bible. It is called Abraham's bosom. It is called heaven. It is called, it's that part. See, there's this place of the dead. It's called Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades. And it has two categories. One is the place of torment for the unbelievers. The intermediate place of torment, which is also called the abyss. And then, but there's the place, the intermediate state of immediate blessing, which is called Abraham's bosom. Also called heaven. Also called paradise. So Jesus, when he ministers to the thief on the cross who is converted, says to him what? Today... You will be with me where? The place of the dead, that category called paradise. And I would submit to you is also heaven as well as Abraham's bosom. Now, take your Bibles and look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's one of those chapters where Paul is defending his apostolic ministry in verse 1. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. He's referring to himself. This is one of those little testimonies of his previous life after his conversion. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the what? Third heaven. Now, Pastor, what do you think the third heaven is? Well, I think it's the immediate presence of the Lord. 
That's what I think it is. I think there is the heavens and the earth. I believe there is the dwelling place of the angels, the second heavens, where they are also allowed into the third heavens, and that is the throne setting. Although God is everywhere, there is the sense of the presence of the Lord in all of his glory in which the angels must shield their eyes and not even land. They've got six wings, two to stay suspended, two to shield their eyes, and two to cover their feet. This presence of the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, which would refer to his what? His soul. Either in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man caught up into what? Paradise. Well, wait a minute. He just called it heaven. It is. It's also paradise. It's also called Abraham's bosom. This is that place where believers go into the presence of the Lord around the throne of the Lord. And that what I want you to see here is that that. Paul was caught up with a vision in his apostolic ministry that would have been appropriate to his calling as giving us the divine revelation of God's word. But he's telling us that when he was called up, it was to the third heavens, which he also identifies as paradise itself. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses." So here he is defending, I won't go into his defense of his apostolic ministry, I only want you to see an account that he refers to 14 years ago. It was so glorious that he doesn't even know whether he was in his body or his soul had been transported, but he does know he was in the presence of the Lord. And he tells us it was heaven. And he tells us it was paradise. And what did, and, and who would have been there? Jesus. And who would have been there? Thief on the cross. And who would have been there? All the souls perfected that had died to go into the presence of the Lord. And one day, if Jesus hasn't come back, you'll be there. Take your Bibles now and go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Now watch. For we, what? What's the next word? No, this is not Pauline speculation. Paul says, I know and you can know. We know. What do we know? That if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, he's referring to your body. He's referring to death. If your tent, which is your earthly home, is destroyed... We have a what? A building from God. Don't miss the metaphors. How does he look at the body? He calls it a what? A tent. The body that we have that is cursed by sin, he calls a tent. He calls what God is preparing for us a what? A building. Does that bring anything to your mind like John? Chapter 14, 
Don't let your heart be fearful. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place, a building for you. I am going to give you a dwelling place with a new body for a new heavens and a new earth. That's ultimately where I am going to bring you. And Paul says you can know this. Quit looking at that through this. This is a tent. That is a glorious palace. He is not preparing a Chip and Joanna makeover, but an extreme takeover. That's what he's doing. That's what he is presenting for you. For in this tent we groan. Boy, you're going to find that out the older you get. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Now, what is he saying? Your soul was not made to stay and exist without a clothing of a body. That's why this is an intermediate state. It is not made to exist simply in its soul or spiritual state. But so when this one is put off and we're found naked... It is the anticipation, not only are we groaning to put this one off, we are anticipating what we are going to put on. And the intermediate state is glorious, but it is not final. There's one, the ultimate state is one in which we are, uh, we are clothed with his presence for all eternity. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed. So that, in other words, I'm not By the way, let me stop here. This is the place for me to say it. Can you not see why our education of our children is so crucial? Because almost all of our children are being educated from Greek philosophy, a Platonic view, in which when you die, that salvation, your soul has escaped from your body. And Paul is saying, we know that's not salvation. We are groaning to be delivered from the body under this curse. But when we don't have a body, that's not salvation. That's an intermediate state. We've got an anticipation of a body that's being made for us for all eternity. It's not a body with a soul in it. And what we're looking for is to get rid of that body and get the soul released. No, no, no. We are looking for the everlasting dwelling of a new body in a new heavens and a new earth. And, and this intermediate state is better, but it is not final. It is not the final state that we have. If you could go on further with me. Uh, not that we would be unclothed. He said, now, our desire isn't to be unclothed with a body. It's to set the one cursed by sin aside that it might be resurrected in a new body for a new heavens and a new earth. Why? So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Okay, now wait just a minute. If I am at home in the body, I'm away from the Lord. Now I know Jesus is with you, 
by the Holy Spirit, but you're not in the presence of the glorified Savior who has ascended into the heavens. So while I'm here, I'm away from him. So when I die, I will what? I will be with him. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Not in my final state, but in a glorious state. Not in the final state, but the glorious state is when I will be there and what I will be and how I will be engaged there. So if we walk by faith and not by sight, we're your good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for him, what is done in the body, whether good or evil. And I know you got some questions on the judgment seat, so I'm going to ask you to wait about three weeks on that one. But right now, what I want you to see is this. You see his abundant honesty. When I'm away from this cursed body that I'm groaning to be delivered from, it's better. To be with the Lord in the intermediate state is better. This is glorious. I'm saved. Praise God. Jesus is with me by the Holy Spirit, and I have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that brings the presence of Christ into my life. And I praise God for that. But when I die, it'll be better. And when I get what he's preparing for me in the new heavens and the new earth, it'll be even more glorious. Even more glorious. But that doesn't mean in between is lacking. On the contrary, it's better. But we're always asking questions about it. You've got them right now. Will I know Susie? Will I be married? Will I drink espresso coffee? I know you've got all those questions. Can I kind of try to give you a little bit this on worldview? What is bigger, a quarter or the sun? Which one's bigger? This is not a trick question. What is bigger, a quarter or a sun? The sun. But if I take the quarter and put it right in front of me, what does it do to the sun? Blocks it out. We take what's here and hold it so tight, it blocks out what he's trying to tell us about there. That's what happens to us. And that was the one my grandmother would teach me after she taught me to pray. She said this, eye has not seen, ear has not heard all that the Lord has prepared for us. I can promise you that whatever it is that gives us joy in his presence in the intermediate state or the final state will all be there. But I can also promise you that which will make it joy is Jesus. And we got a lot of quarters we put in front of that to block that out. You got to get a bigger Jesus. Then you know where to put the quarters. Then you know how to handle that in terms of eternity. 
So I've got one more passage of Scripture. Uh, I'm sorry, two more passages of Scripture, and then we'll uh, conclude uh, pretty much uh, wonderfully on time tonight. So I'm going to ask if you would to go with me now to Luke 16. Luke 16. Here is this insight into the death of the rich man and Lazarus and the intermediate state where they find themselves. It's not the final state. It's the intermediate state. Just a couple of thoughts around it without going too deeply into it. Luke 16. And I want you to take a look closely, uh, closely, but not we're not going in depth, as I said. But I do want you to take a look at this text with just a couple of notations. At the end of chapter 16, you'll find this um, account that's given to us in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. He was covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Remember how when all the believers would die in the Old Testament, lay me aside that I may rest with my fathers. That's, a, that's why Abraham's side or bosom is another word for paradise or heaven. And so he goes there and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, that is the abyss side of eternity, he's in torment. So we see that in the intermediate state, there are two places there is the place of torment and the place of joyful blessing, Abraham's side, paradise, or heaven. And he called and um, and um, uh, and he um, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. We see the torment of the flame of that judgment, that intermediate judgment. And then he says this, Abraham said, child, remember that you're in your lifetime, you received your good things. In other words, you had what you lived for there. That was what your life was all about. Lazarus had bad things. Now, that's not why Lazarus is in heaven, because he got bad things and this is a payback. No, he's in heaven. He would be in heaven like anyone else. But believers on the way to heaven are not necessarily blessed with the wealth of this world because they are put in positions to bear testimony before eternity that Christ is enough. And so it would be with Lazarus. So in other words, Luke, when recording this, would have made sure that you know Jesus does not believe in the word of faith, prosperity, gospel. Name it and claim it. That Lazarus' call was in suffering. The rich man is the one that named it and claimed it and had nothing to do with the Lord. So now he is under judgment. Lazarus is in the presence of the Lord, even though in his walk with the Lord, he did not have the things of this world. And so he says to him, he says to him in the next verse, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. There is no second opportunity after death. It's fixed. There's a chasm. 
And besides all this, there's a chasm has been fixed in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him, that's Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they got the word of God. That's a sufficient witness. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Did someone come to people from the dead? Did they repent? <laughs> no. If they don't listen to the word, they won't listen to the, even the miraculous resurrection of the Savior. God's got to change the heart for people to come to Christ. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So I want you to just look at a couple of things there besides what I've already pointed out in this intermediate state. Will we know one another? Yes. There will be recognition. Will we communicate with one another? Yes. There is communication. Now, I know some of you are very brilliant right now. And you're saying, well, soul or spirit? Harry, I can't see my soul or spirit. And if I get to heaven and it's the spirit's made perfect, how in the world in my spiritual existence am I going to be able to communicate and recognize others? Well, let me ask you all a question. Who else dwells in a spiritual state? The angels. Do they recognize one another? Do they communicate? The Bible is full of it. All of those examples. Now, that's where I stop. I can't get beyond that. The soul of the Spirit is immaterial. And angels are spirits made by God to serve Him. But they recognize and communicate, and so we will recognize and communicate. How will we be able to do that? I can't tell you that. I can only tell you, you do. Because here, there is recognition and communication. Here, there is recognition, there is communication in the intermediate state of the spirits being perfected. I also want to make one more point. In the intermediate state, there is no redemption. And I want to make this point. In the intermediate state, the torment will not even bring someone to godly repentance. Well, Pastor, wait just a minute. He's saying, oh, he's in remorse. Isn't he in remorse? Sure. This is called being, this is called the sorrow. This is called worldly sorrow, not godly repentance. Godly repentance is repentant over our sin and the sinfulness of our sin. That's not what he has. He's only sorrowful over the consequences. And if you, want to, if you want to see it further, you want to see it further? What, does, what is his remedy? Send Lazarus to dip his finger. Here's a man that he used his whole life, and he still uses him. Lazarus is his water boy, even from, even from uh, Hades and the abyss. And by the way, you haven't done enough, God. 
you need to do something else. I'm not responsible because I'm here. You didn't do enough to warn me not to be here. So now do more for my five brothers. There is no repentance. Folks, when the Bible says that those who are cast into hell, even the final state of hell, are weeping and gnashing of teeth, that is not repentance. That is not biblical remorse. That would be more like what your child does to show total depravity. It's called a temper tantrum. There is no repentance in hell. That's why the Bible, this whole notion, well, you know, people are just, when they get to eternity in hell, they're just going to kind of go where they are. That, you didn't want God here, so now you get what you didn't want. No, 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 no. If that was true, all God would have to do is just set up the escalator and they could go on to be in eternal hell apart from him. No, the Bible says he hurls them. He throws them into eternal condemnation. Nobody walks into it, but neither does it bring repentance. Only the gospel of grace will bring you to repentance, to confess Christ as Lord and King. So one more thing, and then we're through. Just go with me to Revelation 7, and then I'll read this, and we'll close in prayer. Revelation chapter 7, and we'll close in prayer. We come to the end of the sixth seal and the anticipation of the seventh seal, which will be unfolded by seven uh, trumpets and seven bowls of wrath. It will just keep the book of Revelation keeps unfolding. But here, as you get to the end of the seventh seal, I go to Romans chapter seven. And I want to show you this description of the intermediate state uh, to John uh, in his vision in uh, the book of uh, Revelation. So here we are at the verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and the peoples and the language, standing before the throne, heaven, paradise, Abraham's bosom, the presence of the Lord, Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Well, they must not have been Presbyterian. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. They not only started with amen, they ended with amen. Thank you. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where they come? And he said, sir, you know. And he said to them, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in this temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be there shepherd and he will guide them to the springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. 
So here are those coming out of the Great Tribulation. I don't have time to defend this. I'm only going to say it, and I'll be more than happy to talk to you. What he's talking about is the life of persecution directed against Christians from the ascension of Jesus to the second coming. Here's what Jesus says. In the world, you have tribulation. Take courage. I've overcome the world. And that tribulation, that persecution against believers that began... After the ascension of Jesus continues like a woman's birth pangs of getting greater intensity until Jesus comes. So you got two dynamics going on. The kingdom of God, not yet in its glory, but still here and spreading throughout the world. As the gospel of the kingdom goes forward. And the tribulation and the evil empire striking back becomes more intense until it all comes to the consummation and the trumpet blows. And so what is happening for those who die in Christ, protected with the seal of God upon their heads, that they are then brought into his presence and he loses not one. And what will they be doing there who have come out of this tribulation through Christ who has won the victory? Well, here is what they will be doing. Let me just jot down these things for you. Number one, in the intermediate state where the souls are perfected in the presence of the Lord, you will be worshiping the Lord with undiluted fellowship and affection. You will be worshiping the Lord with his people with undiluted affection and um, uh, undiluted affection and adoration. Secondly, you will serve Christ. You will serve Christ with no faltering and no need to confess sins. Number three, you will enjoy the unfettered presence of the Lord. You know, in these days, we feel times that the Lord is so far away. But in those days, that will never be felt. The third thing is you will enjoy the unfettered presence of the Lamb. Fourthly, you will know the full satisfaction of seeing and being in the presence of Christ. Nothing else will be necessary for your joy. Nothing else Will be That's not all that you're going to enjoy, but nothing else will be needed. He will be your joy as you are in his presence. Number five, you will be directly shepherded by Christ. Right now, Christ is shepherding you through faulty people like me, our elders, our deacons. Uh, praise the Lord for all of them. But that day... The shepherd, the chief shepherd himself, will shepherd you, the text says. You will be perfectly fed and led by your great shepherd in that day. Sixthly, the presence of Christ will shelter you. He will wrap you up with his presence. Y'all ever notice this pandemic? How much we struggle, we see somebody, what do we immediately want to do? 
hug them. And we'll elbow and piss and all that stuff. What we want to do is hug, don't we? We are made for that. We are made for touch. Well, you'll have his touch for all eternity as you are in his presence and his glorified body is before you. And number seven, in all of the glorious blessings of this which is better. Because why? You're home. I'm not home. I'm, I'm on a journey. I'm a pilgrim right now. Then I'll be home. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We're at home. Did you read what I said in Second Corinthians? We're home with the Lord. And all of this blessing of the home and the well, being at home with the Lord and all of this that is so much better. The best is yet to come. In the final state. Harry, what will that final state be? Glad you asked. I've got the answer. Next, this will be next week. Come on back next week. <laughs> We're going to get to the new heavens and the new earth. Here's what we will look at. What are the benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God unto all eternity. What will that be like? I can't wait to talk to you about it then. When he rolls out the new heavens and the new earth, you got a new body for the new heavens and the new earth, acquitted and proclaimed as his from the judgment seat into all eternity. And we'll take a look at what the Bible says about that next week. I look forward to it with you this week. I know if Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die. So is your soul right with the Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? Then you're on your way home. That's where you're going. Home. To be with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we could be together in your word. Thank you, Father, for the great joy of just going to the scriptures to see what we cannot speculate but know. Because of what you have said and what you have revealed. And your word is truth and unbreakable, infallible and inerrant. So thank you, Christ, for all of your comforts in life and in death. And as we groan. To shed a sin-cursed body in anticipation of the perfections of what you are preparing for us in glory. Even as we groan, we rejoice. For here, we lift you up. There, you will lift us up into your presence. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.